Take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. You ever been desperate before? (laughs) You ever been at the end of yourself? At a place where you felt absolutely hopeless? You see your weakness and you go, what do I do? Where do I go? (laughs) I confess sometimes that's almost every Sunday as I walk up here. (laughs) the task and the, the um, responsibility that I have of proclaiming the word and doing it accurately, passionately, and clearly can sometimes be overwhelming. And so, as Spurgeon said, I walk up often to the pulpit. I walk up going... Lord, I need you. Help me. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit can do this. I can't do it. Please help me. Desperate. That's what we are, aren't we? We're desperate people. Today we are going to look at two people that are desperate. (laughs) And we're going to see that our God is a faithful and kind and good God. No... He doesn't always answer our, our prayers and requests as fast as we want him to. And sometimes he doesn't even answer the way we want him to. But he is a gracious and kind God, and he sees his desperate children, and he is good, and he loves us, and he responds. Today we're going to see this for sure to be so. Notice in Luke chapter 8, as we've been going through in the previous week, we've seen the lordship of Christ as he did what only God could do. He calmed the storm on the sea, and he delivered a man possessed with many demons. His sovereign rulership has been on display in dramatic fashion the last two weeks. The people have responded appropriately when they saw his glory. The disciples feared and asked a very appropriate question, Who can this man be? And then the delivered man from the demons sought to go with Jesus, but when Jesus said, Stay and go tell, he obeyed and went and told all the good news of Christ's deliverance. Now today, as we see, Jesus arrives back across the lake To a warm welcome. Previously the Gentile dominated area of the Gerasenes. Told Jesus leave. They feared him. They were afraid. But here he arrives back. And notice in 840. It starts with these little words. And as Jesus returned. The people welcomed him. For they all. Or they had all been waiting for him. So this is a point in Jesus' ministry when it's at the height of his prosperity, or popularity rather. Jesus is met by two people who particularly need him, people that you wouldn't expect. A well-known synagogue official named Jairus, we'll talk about him, 
and an outcast ill lady with a horrible bleeding problem. Today we're going to look, and you can follow along in your notes. Inside your bulletins we have some notes you can just fill in the blanks. Today we'll look at two miracles performed by Jesus, our Lord, that should challenge all of us to trust in Him in all circumstances. Again, we're going to see Jesus our Lord and see what He's about, see His Lordship. This should challenge us to trust in Him in all circumstances. All right, so we see two desperate people. Let's look at our passage in Luke chapter 8. Verse 40, let's read. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at his feet, at Jesus' feet, and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, And she was dying, but as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe she and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except for Peter, John, James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began to laugh at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. We pray now that as we look at these desperate people and your glorious Son, that we will know him better and know that we should seek him first. Thank you, Father, for all that are here. We pray that you will give ears to hear and that your Spirit will work in all of us to help us to know that you are God and you can be trusted. Thank you, Father, 
for this time we have with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, today we will look at two miracles performed by Jesus that should challenge us all to trust in him in all circumstances. The passage breaks down into three main sections. There's the introduction to the two desperate people. The first miracle that rescues the incurable lady, which is found in verses 44 to 48. And the second miracle that raises the dead girl when he uh, raises her from the dead in verses 49 to 56. Let's walk down through this passage and see the glory of our Lord. Again, we see the glory of how God works in and through miracles in a succession of time. It's very interesting. This, these two miracles are married together much like the two previous miracles. And throughout all of these events, we're seeing a pattern. And that pattern is, is that God is working a plan through the events of Jesus' life. And at first glance, you might look at it and say, man, everything looks chaotic. A crowd pressing in on them. Somebody coming and asking for a healing for his daughter. The daughter dies. There's this other lady that can't really touch him that really needs him. It looks chaotic at first. You look at the events and you say, wow, everything is absolutely out of control. That might be your first glance. It's somewhat like on the boat. They're going over to garrison land and a storm comes up. They're going over to help somebody. A storm comes up. All these events seem at first glance to be what? Chaotic. But they're not. They're all in God's perfect sovereign plan. You see it unfolding. This is exactly what happens in our lives. God works in little events that as he goes along, we see his hand as we look back. But in the midst of it, we go, desperation, chaos. I can't even touch him. I can't even see him. This is exactly what's unfolding here. And as we walk down three, you're going to see how God demonstrates his glory best as the chaos gets greater. Did you hear that? God demonstrates his best, his glory the best, when the chaos is at its highest. We should remember this. Take note of this, folks. When things seem to be crashing down all over, these are the opportunities for God to demonstrate himself the most. As we cling to him, we trust him, know that he is God. He is Lord of all events. And he's, we're going to show it here. It's beautiful. Let's walk down through it. First, there's two desperate people. That's found in verses 40 to 43. The first desperate person was a worried father. That's found in verses 41 and 42. Notice, and there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Jairus, this, ladies and gentlemen, is a desperate man. He was the man who probably, being an official, appointed the scripture reading for the Sabbath services. He would be like today's executive pastor for a local synagogue. This man would have been popular and well-respected. It doesn't speak a lot about those first 12 years with his daughter. But 
Jairus appears to have been a prominent man. But now he's in a desperate circumstance. His 12-year-old daughter is ill to the point of death. She is his only daughter. He is obviously, he obviously greatly loves this young lady. Jairus would have known about Jesus from the times Jesus had been there and spoken in his synagogue. Jesus has been around this area. He's most likely in the Capernaum area. So he would have known him and would have heard him. Jairus probably began to believe in Jesus at some point in the past, but it was a very weak faith. Very, very small, as we'll see as we go along. Jairus was so desperate here, though, he prostrates himself before Jesus at his feet and began to beg him to come out to his house. Remember previously the centurion had said, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Here Jairus says, hey, come to my house. You're the only one that maybe I have some hope. He's not thinking necessarily as highly of Jesus as the other man. But he still believes to some degree. And a matter of fact, he's so desperate, he prostrates himself before Jesus on the ground. This is not typical for a Jewish official. He is very, very desperate. Luke's commentary says on the passage that she was dying. Then that means it's desperate circumstance. Luke speaking under the inspiration of God, she was dying. How many of you that are parents understand his desperate circumstance? <laughs> I want you to take this for just a second and think about this. If one of your own children were at death's door, what would you be doing? Oh, I don't know about you, but I would be begging God. I would prostrate myself, wouldn't we? Please, God, save. Please, God, save. There's something about parents and children. Do you not agree? Just inside, there's something inside you that aches for them. You look at them and you just, you would do anything for them. I had a discussion with the boys on the way home the other day, just talking to them about how much we love them and how much we, we just lay down our lives for them. So when we see them in a bad situation, even at the point of death, what else would we do? We're desperate. Help, please. That's this man. How many of you have stayed up with a sick child before? (laughs) How many of you have prayed and prayed and prayed? I remember when Andrew first came, firstborn too. There's something about that first child. You feel so vulnerable. Like, I'm doing everything wrong. I can't do this. Help me. Please, help me. And he gets a little cough, and I stay up all night. Please, God, please, God, let this cough go away. Right? This child is literally dying. How desperate is he? Very desperate. Psalm 9.10 says, And those who know your name, know God, will put their trust in God. For you, O Yahweh, have not forsaken those who seek you. You don't turn away from us, so we seek you. We know you are God, so we seek you. But I have to admit, as I read through this story, and are you like me as we read through this story? I have a real (laughs) burden for Jairus. 
I bet that was a long trip to his house. What do you think? (laughs) The crowds are packing in, and he stops halfway. Who touched me? (laughs) What? Hey, wait. Daughter, 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 daughter's dying. Come on. Who touched me? (laughs) Our desperation often needs to do what? Wait upon the Lord. (laughs) I think Jairus learned some good lessons of waiting here, doesn't he? Waiting. He still gets a pretty quick answer, doesn't he? But it's a tragic way and a wave of emotions that he goes through. We'll see it. Notice second. The second desperate person. A hopeless lady. Look at 843 in Luke. And a woman who had a hemorrhage, that is a continuous bleeding problem, for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone. Mark 5 explains the lady a little bit more. He says, and she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. And she and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. (laughs) This lady had had this horrible circumstance, this misery for 12 years. And she was at the end of everything. It appears that she had spent all that she had on medical procedures. And during that day, there were many quack doctors. (laughs) And many quack doctors who were looking to make money off of weak people. And here we have a prime example. A lady that has no hope, hopeless, for 12 years. The religious system, on top of that, had applied the law of Moses wrong to her. They had connected people with sicknesses like this with a curse from God. So not only was this lady sick and hurting, but she was also cursed by the people. People hated her. She was an outcast of an outcast. If you bled like that, word got around. She's an unclean lady. Run from her. Some commentators speculate that her husband, or she might have been married and divorced her because that's what people would do at this time. You can't touch her. She's unclean. Throw her away. This is exactly what kind of lady she was in, a hopeless, desperate woman. It's interesting that she wouldn't have been allowed to worship. Guess who would have known her probably? Jairus. It's very interesting. She lives in the same town. She probably went to the same or tried to go to the same synagogue. But anytime she went, nope, stay outside. I wonder. I don't know, and we'll find out when we get to heaven. I could see where Jairus would have been one of the ones, the executive pastor. Hey, you can't come in here. You stay outside. We know about you. And here is Jairus having to do what? Wait on her. It's very interesting here. The first becomes the last to get the healing, and the last gets the first healing. It's very interesting. She's supposed to be separated. Leviticus 15 19 to 30 said that she was supposed to separate herself from the people. And they had made it so that she would have to say unclean wherever she was. So she's in this crowd. Jesus is on his way. Where should she have been in this crowd? 
They should have parted away for her, huh? But she secretly, not wanting anybody to know, gets crock comes up behind Jesus. So again, we see her faith is maybe not great. It's weak. It's small. But she crawls to Jesus. Jesus was literally being crushed by the large number of people. Yet this lady was so desperate that she stealthily sought to touch Jesus' cloak. There is a sense where the lady's faith is ignorant to a, a, a degree. Why do I say this? Because she thinks that if she just touches something, there's somewhat of a mystical aspect. That she touches the cloak. By the way, Benny Hinn does these kind of things too. They misinterpret passages like this. Just touch my garment and you can get healed. You know what that is? Garbage. <laughs> Jesus corrects her. How does he correct her? The way he corrects her is even though she's healed, he knows who she is. He asks the question for her to say, look, it's about her personal relationship with me. When you know me, I'm the one that does it. I did it. Know me. It's not about touching a little cloak. But she has a very, I love this. This is so encouraging to me. In both cases, the people demonstrate a shallow faith. Not a great faith. It's there, but it's not something amazing. And especially in the lady's case. And yet Jesus still does what? He answers her request. He still gives her what she wants. That's hope, isn't it? Think about this, folks. Think for a second. How many of you would say, oh, I've got great faith. I'll do anything for Christ. (laughs) You might say it, but when the circumstance come, what do we do? Put in a situation where people are going to look at us and maybe judge us. What do we do? We cower, right? We're no different than this poor lady that sinks up behind just to touch the fringe, not to be noticed by anybody. But the good news is that our God, even though we may be weak, he still is good. He is still a kind and gracious and loving God. Even when we're desperate, we're weak, our faith is like nothing, nothing, just a little bit. Please, God. He hears us and he responds. That's what Jesus is all about. That's good news. I'm so thankful. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, you unbeliever. Look what you do, your mystical ideas, you're touching my garment. He doesn't rebuke her. He's so gentle and gracious to her. So kind. So we come now to the healing. Let's look. The incurable is healed. In verses 44 to 48. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Her bleeding stopped. She was immediately healed. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? I have to admit, this is a comical moment. I would absolutely love to have seen this unfold. Because everybody in the crowd, it says, look. And while they were, it says, and while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, 
Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's look at the healing here. The healing is not normal, like mentioned. She touches Jesus' cloak and is immediately healed. This isn't the way he normally did it. I think it's important to note that Jesus healed the woman, not some mystical touch. We know this by the question. When he says, who touched me? He's doing this not because he doesn't know who touched him. It's more to bring out the idea and get her to come forward to identify that he's healed her. Well, that's important. Jesus often asks questions that are trying to draw the person out to get them to face up to who he is. It's not that he's saying, oh, I'm lost. I have no idea who touched me. It's more along the lines of he asked the question to draw the lady out, and he's doing it for her good. It's a very interesting thing. I believe Jesus knew the lady touched him and knew her specifically. But he was looking out for her more than making, a, making, her, making her state that it was her. Notice in verse 47, it says this. The lady saw that she had not escaped notice. What's that mean? That means he's saying, no, I know somebody touched me. I know somebody touched me. I, it doesn't say where his eyes were. I know somebody touched me. And how did she know? This is a huge crowd. She comes out and says what? I can't escape it. I'm caught. Somehow he identified her, and she knew it. And then he says these words to her. Daughter. Now, Jesus doesn't just call somebody daughter in a half second for no reason. He knew her. He knew her. He knew her circumstances. There's an intimate relationship that he's saying that's established. There's a right relationship here. Listen, folks. He knew her, and he was happy to heal her. But why does he get her to come out front? Why not just let her go off in seclusion? Why bring her out? For her sake. See, folks, this lady... People wouldn't trust her. She was the unclean one. She had gone to numerous doctors, right? People have given her all these things, and she kept bleeding. What was she? She was the outcast of the outcast of the outcast of the town. Nobody, nobody would have loved this woman. Everybody would have done this to that woman until Jesus says, you're clean. You're made well. You're right. Daughter, I've made you well. In effect, you're now cured. You're healed. Accept her back as one who is healed. Accept her back. And who was with them? Jairus, the synagogue official. Think about this. It's wonderful how God is working all these details out. He's basically saying... To the executive pastor, 
Take her back in. Put her in the community. She's healed. On the way to healing his daughter, raising his daughter from the dead. It's amazing. Isn't it awesome? Who could plan these things? Only God. All the little events trickling and making a perfect weave. This is what God's all about. And she humbly steps out and fell down trembling before him. I bet millions of things went through her mind. Oh, oh no, I'm caught. Am I going to get it back again? Oh no, what's he going to do? She wasn't informed great because she wouldn't have been able to be taught by anybody for at least the last 12 years. She had a mystical understanding of God at best, right? And yet Jesus is so gracious. I love these words and they're so encouraging to me. How many of you desperate, desperate? This is me. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This, in effect, is him saying, you're in a new relationship with me. You are rightly related to me. Daughter. He really didn't have her as his daughter, right? But he, she was his spiritual daughter. He's saying, in effect, you are rightly related to me. And he develops it, and he says, go in peace. That means what? You're at peace with God. You've been made well, not just physically, but spiritually. You're right with God. Don't tremble anymore. You're my daughter. Oh, these are great words, aren't they? And all of us, all of us, listen. If you're desperate, if you're needy, and you call out to him and humbly seek him, he will hear you. And he will respond with the same grace and same kindness. He says, you're my child. That's who God is. Aren't you thankful? It's not based on the height of my faith. If it was based on what I could do and how great my faith was, I'd be in a lot of trouble and you would be too. He takes the weakest, the lowest, desperate cry, help me, trembling. You're my daughter. You can go in peace. We take the physical healing as the main point of the passage, but I don't think it is. Did you hear me? I don't think that's the main point of the passage. I think the main point of the passage is that phrase, daughter, You have been made well. Go in peace. Because that lady was going to die. Promise. You know why? Everybody does. And she did. But she was rightly related to her creator. And that's what was important. If she would have stealthily went away, she might not have ever completely understood that until she went to glory. But here Jesus says, come here. Let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you who I am and who you are. You are my child. You are at peace with me. Great truth. Don't we have a loving Savior? Gracious God. Notice now we move on. Again, 
I know Jairus is agonizing. The events didn't unfold as fast as even I'm talking. Most likely you're talking. He asks the question. He stands there. There's a bunch of people. This probably took a while for all this to unfold. What do you think Jairus is doing inside? Come on, you know, my daughter, my daughter, you know, she's at my house. Come on, let's go. Look what happens. The dead is raised. Verse 49, and while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all sleeping and lament, or weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called and saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. The desperate situation unfolds. Hopelessness. Then goes to shallow hope, then exaltation. We see it all in this. Notice, the messenger comes saying the little girl has died. Can you imagine the wave of emotions this guy is going through? Boy, this, this speaks a lot to our own emotions, by the way. When we're in our circumstances, what's going on? There's just, wow, 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 tons of things are happening inside of our hearts, right? And our thoughts. Think about what happens inside of us. You have a really, 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 really sick daughter that's dying. What are you thinking? Oh, this is so sad. This is a miserable place. Then you fall down before Jesus, and it appears that he says, okay, I'm going to come and help you. So he goes inside his heart. What would he be doing then? Oh, good. There's hope. Yes. Yeah. I got Jesus. He's coming. He thinks he can do it because he's going towards my house. So there's hope here. Yay. Then this crowd comes in. <laughs> no ambulance going on. No ambulance service taking him over there real quick. This is a slow route. And all these people, what would we do? I don't know about you. Jairus did pretty good. It doesn't say he said anything. But me, I'd be like, hey, move aside. My daughter is sick. Jesus is coming through. I will help you. Move, move. I'd grab two big guys and say, come here, help, move. These people, we're going to my house. She's sick. He can heal. Get out of my way. Right? Is that us? Ever talking to somebody, the doctor in an emergency circumstance, you might know what I'm talking about. The wave of the motions. And then all of a sudden, somebody shows up and says what? She's dead. <laughs> what went through his mind? What's going through his mind? Oh, man. 
He just healed this woman. He could have healed my daughter. Sound familiar? Remember Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? If you would have only been here, he wouldn't have died. So inside of his heart, he's probably going, this is impossible. Wait, down, up, down. What's that? Emotional roller coaster. Get off of it. Try to avoid it. Focus on the Lord. Attention on him. He knows what's best. He is master, not you. Don't listen to your emotions all the time. They lie to you. They don't know the end of the story. They only know what? The circumstances often. You get that? Our emotions are always enraptured with our circumstances. We must not let it go there. We must do what? Go to the truth. Hold on to Christ. He knows the answer. He knows where he's going. He knows what's best. Trust in the Lord. And Jesus says it, in effect, doesn't he? Boy, we should memorize this verse right here. Do not fear. Believe. Only believe. She will be saved or made well. Now, some of you at this moment are saying, wait a second, wait a second, Mike. He didn't make that promise to me. No, he didn't. He didn't make that promise to us. But his character never changes. Do you hear that? His character doesn't change. Who God is and what he's about, he's about those that desperately seek him. He loves us. He loves us just as much as he loved Jairus. He's God. Maybe our child won't be rescued. But God is good. And God knows what's best. And God is able to save. And God will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. No, that verse, we'll just throw that one out. No, I'll hold on to that one. I need it. I'll keep that one. Just like he is here. As, pro- as they approach the house, emotions are at a fevered pitch. Mourners are there. They're lamenting. The professional mourners are out again. Here they are wailing. It's interesting to me that as soon as Jesus corrects them or says, in effect, your definition of death is not right. (laughs) My definition is is that she's asleep. It's not an eternal thing, and she's going to come back. You don't get it. They do what? They laugh. How do they go from weeping to laughing and mocking him within two or three seconds? (laughs) One little phrase, and they're starting. They go from lamenting to laughing. Hmm, I think those professional mourners are out again. What are those? Those are the ones that you would hire to come and weep because if you weep loud enough, you look like a really religious family. Oh, it's me. Whoa, it's me. Throwing dust up. Oh, this is so horrible. 
If I'm emotional enough, maybe God will take note of me. Hire some people. Maybe they'll take note of me. I'll earn some favor from God by my emotionalism. I'll pay for some extra earnings. Missed the point. Next thing they do is they laugh at him. They mock the God of the universe that said, hey, he knows what death is. (laughs) They should have said, what do you mean? What do you mean? In total contrast to the previous miracle, Jesus makes it a private session this time. I think in many ways the difference is in the reaction from, from some of the motives, though. Jesus was probably seeking to protect the girl. Listen to me. It's so beautiful. (laughs) I love the, the heart of our Savior in this story. It's amazing. He brings the one lady out in order to reestablish her fellowship. But the 12-year-old girl, he doesn't want her to become too much of a public spectacle, so he makes it private. You see this? It's beautiful. He knows exactly what each person needs all the way to the end. And he basically says, wait, wait. Stay out here. Private thing. You don't need to see this. Let's don't make a big deal about this. I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. <laughs> Why to protect this little girl? Oh, you just see the compassion of our Savior. Stop weeping. Stop being an emotional basket case, you're not going to earn God's favor. I'm here because I love this little girl, and I love Jairus. And his faith has called me to action, and I'm going. Notice, once he does heal her, in verse 56, her parents were amazed. But he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Hmm. What do we see here? We see parents that get it. They know who Jesus is. They experience the fullness of his grace and his kindness. And they see how he can heal and raise even the dead. This is the way God is. and This is how we should respond when we're put in a desperate circumstance. So the question is this. Do you have a desperate circumstance in your life? I bet there's somebody in here that has an impossible circumstance and you have absolutely no idea how it's going to work out. How in the world is this going to work out? Well, I want to tell you, the answer is not in Mike's brought. I can't fix it but I know who can. I know the Lord who lives and is gracious and kind. Jesus is the one you should desperately seek. If you do, be ready to see his glory on display. He might say, wait, don't stop seeking but he's always the same. What have we seen about Jesus? We've seen he's Lord over nature. We've seen he's Lord over the spiritual world. We've seen he's Lord over the physical world. 
We've seen he's Lord over death and life. Let me ask you a question. Is he Lord over your sin? Is he Lord over your circumstances? Maybe there's somebody here that has not been delivered from the biggest problem. What's the biggest problem? Sin and judgment. You know, everybody in the room is what? A sinner in need of a Savior. What is God's standard? Perfection. Jesus says this, that you must be like my Father who is in heaven. Perfect. Anybody in here perfect? No. So what do we do? We're in a desperate circumstance, aren't you? Did you sin this week? Yeah. How many lied this week? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) You don't have to raise it. (laughs) Didn't get it out fast enough. (laughs) How many have stolen something? How many have blasphemed God? How many have put something above God like a family member, a game, a job, a career, money? What are we? We are desperate people. Help me, help me, help me. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. Humble yourself and call upon him and he will deliver you. We have seen it over and over and over again. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious and kind and good to us. You showed it again. (laughs) You loved Jairus and you rescued his daughter. You loved the lady that was bleeding and you made her whole. Oh, God. And you see us in our desperate need. And we cry out to you, God, please, please heal us. More than our physical, Lord, we pray, please help our hearts long to know you more and serve you. We love you for your grace and your kindness. You have loved us first. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.